Hello, welcome back to the podcast. After a couple of weeks off from recording, due to technical issues and trial and error of starting this podcast, I had to delay the recording of this episode as I had to get more professional recording equipment and scheduling around guests coming on to this podcast. We got on this podcast a new feature called Stimpride Showcase where I'll have Lorraine from a company Chewy Gem explaining her business and what stimming is. Uh, in the new feature, as I said, Stimpride Showcase. So like trying to create pride within stimming and explain what that is. Also got a new feature called the new news desk highlighting some of the stories you might have seen on our Twitter feed and on our feeds of social media. And I am, have been able to schedule in and book an interview with Sarah Boone. With Sarah, I chat with her about self-diagnosis and have already recorded that episode before I recorded this introduction and it was lengthy conversation that was had over Zoom, very informal chat and it was quite an excellent conversation we've had uh, to engage and express different ideas around how neurodivergency affects her. We'll also have in coming up episodes on a series. Later this week, I'll be recording with Krista Hume Holman's New Rebel. They will be talking to me about gender identity and expression on the podcast in next week's episode. We'll be discussing their identity as a non-binary and gender-fluid neurodivergent, an autistic person, they are, we will be talking about their identity as being pansexual also, and hopefully you'll be able to submit your questions that I could pose to them in in my interview with them, and also you're going to have also be able to submit questions for our feature n- n- uh, ask autistically Arvin. use the hashtag or email me at nd.newonews at gmail.com I've also taken time to come back to doing this week podcast as I've had to take some time to look at the different scheduling arrangements for up-and-coming episodes as planning episodes on multiple issues, especially coming up to next month as we'll have more episodes on a Dyspraxia Awareness Week where we'll have, hopefully, have a, a whole week of takeover, a bonus episodes of the podcast in a bonus series for Dyspraxia Awareness Week. We'll also be highlighting ADHD that week as it's ADHD Awareness Month that in October. Also planning 
episodes around mental health as we went into a more mental health episodes and features on this podcast as doing a, as I understand doing the coronavirus for many new audiences and mental health has been a struggle and a challenge for many of us. So we thought do we, as the social distancing will have to carry on and the uncertainty and challenges facing us this winter and into the coming next year. I want to be able to highlight some of the issues facing us as and to raise mental health awareness and to provide a discussion around different services and different tips of access and support if anyone's struggling with mental health this winter during this pandemic on this podcast. So we're going to expect to see all that coming up in the series of this podcast, including also an episode of Charlie Clements on asexuality, and also Billy from Dyspraxic Help for You is also a look, looking to do on this podcast a collaboration with myself with Dyspraxic Help for You uh, on. Uh, Dyspraxia Awareness Week to discuss di- and collaborate on dyspraxia and talk about that and hopefully have some questions and talk about the work Billy has been doing with his podcast and his Twitter account and the uh, work he's been doing to try to help provide tips and resources forever dyspraxics. So, to introduce our first segment on this episode is the Stim Pride Showcase, a new weekly feature in the new format of the podcast. In the first inaugural Stim Pride Showcase, I got Chewy Gems Lorraine. She'll be talking about her business and what stimming means. Hi, I'm Lorraine and I'm from a company called Chewy Gem. Chewy Gem specialises in chewing aids and we also sell stim products and sensory products. Chewy Gem was started almost 10 years ago when my eldest child was going through an autism diagnosis and chewed on everything to help self-regulate. Rather than ruining any more jumpers or clothes, we thought we'd develop these funky discreet chews and they would help Jamie and lots of other people too. Chewing is a sensory-seeking behaviour and a stim, and we seek out oral feedback to calm and regulate our sensory systems. Stimming is short for self-stimulatory behaviour, which is basically repetitive behaviours that we do to self-regulate and self-soothe. These can be repetitive movements, words and sounds. Some people stim by flapping their hands or spinning, but there's loads of stims out there. Some of my stims include fidgeting and I wear fidget rings and I use lots of handheld fidgets. I also stim using music and I like to play songs or parts of songs over and over on repeat. I really love visual stims so things like sand timers, I love watching the sand coming through, it's really really calming. 
but my favourite stim is fidgeting with a piece of fluff from the inside of my old childhood teddy bear. I've got lots of discrete stims as well, things like tapping my nails on a surface, I like to click my knuckles and I scrunch my toes up inside my shoes and these are things you probably wouldn't see or notice. I probably stim in ways that I don't even realise. When I was younger, I used to hide my stims, although back then I didn't know what they were and I didn't know why I did them. Now I like to embrace my stims and I'm proud of stimming. It helps me to get through the day feeling calmer. It's also introduced me to a whole community of people. And using Chewy Gem, I'm able to help people and also advocate how important stimming is. The best quote I've ever heard is, Stimming is like breathing, just as natural, just as important. Thank you to Lorraine from Chewy Gem for that recording that she did about her business and how she stims. Thank you for that recording in our first feature of Stim Pride Showcase, which will be coming weekly on the podcast. Next week, lined up for that feature, I got Fen from Stimology explaining their new business launching at the end of this month. With this feature, I'm looking to support small startups, stimming businesses led by neurodivergents themselves to boost the stim economy and the economy around neurodivergents who are helping other neurodivergents with many helpful services and different products that can help others like Lorene from Chewy Gem as explained. So for this episode I'm glad I was able to record our first my first interview in a Zoom capacity that I could exchange over like a live conversation via Zoom call. It was sort of in a way slightly nervous because never done it before. It's something new to me recording with somebody, you know, that I kind of met and discussed online prior to that. I never met before real life, before meeting her online to have a discussion. But I'm quite glad I was able to have this conversation with Sarah Boone on self-diagnosis and how she realised she was autistic and has ADHD and how she ended up getting a diagnosis of her own. And we had a nice lengthy conversation around around, uh, self-diagnosis over Zoom. It was, as I said, first for me, so it was trial and error, as I never quite used Zoom before, which seems quite surprising, as everyone has seemed to somehow used Zoom throughout this pandemic. So this is up now in our, bo- in our headline feature. Let's record now and uh, get the questions up. Hang on. Yeah. Yeah, I think I had them on email. Oh, well, they have this 
be you. So right, let's go and start off by just asking how are you and to just get a mood of how you're feeling with do, doing a pandemic. Yeah, so my name's Sarah, I'm autistic, I've got ADHD and I'm dyslexic. Um, and then my moods, I'm, pretty, I'm feeling pretty good today. Um, so I've just finished my master's degree, so that's a little bit of a relief um, to get that all done. Yeah. And during the pandemic, I think I've been feeling very mixed. Like some days were fine, but then other days I did find it quite hard. So, yeah. What about you, Aaron? How did you find it? I have definitely found it quite, uh, definitely found it quite difficult. Yeah, you know, the big, big ups and downs, I think, has been difficult to quite navigate and process the madness of mm-hmm. it all. So, yeah, I guess you're pretty pleased just to get got to the point of finishing your master's degree now anyway yeah 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 definitely I think as well in some ways it was good having that going on because it meant during lockdown I always had something to do um you know I was always still busy even though I know a lot of people weren't um but yeah I think on balance it probably was quite a good time to do it so even though it wasn't planned to happen during a global pandemic I guess it's just a thing you know like your uni work give you like some sort of escapism or some sort of distraction from the ba- bizarreness of the old p- pandemic situation, I guess. Yeah, I think it really helped in terms of structure because it meant yeah. that like every day I knew I had to get something done or I had to do a certain amount of work to kind of keep on top of things. So I think, yeah, I think that really helped. Otherwise, I think I'd just be sitting like bored not knowing what to do with myself when it, especially yeah. when it was full on lockdown and it was only like once a day you could go for a walk or exercise or whatever yeah so personally felt that you know like you know found myself in a state of boredom or not mm-hmm. exactly t- t- knowing what to do with myself because uh before we, you know uh the the pandemic i tried to study at university that became too much of a challenge for myself you know if the whole it's kind of like a was big culture shock going from that to from sixth form to university. So like we struggle yeah. to take time out from that and then in the old pandemic it's like struggling on what to do then and oh see yourself. So it's like a real mix of ups and downs really then. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really sorry, I've interrupted you. It's all um, right. No, I was like, I think it's really hard, especially if you're like at a time of transition during the pandemic. So let's say, yeah. you know, you're planning to start studying or you're planning to get a job or anything like yeah. that. I think it's a, it's a really hard time. Yeah. It's like, a, as I said, you know, like I was at the point of, you know, like, it's not so what to do, not still a bit not so now. So yeah, it's kind of like, it's at a weird point, yeah, especially like people who were like, even me, maybe in the financial situation, maybe, how did to get a job so like I guess your uni work was as you said good for you to find that base structure and routine what do you say you were five and in you know structure and routine helps you with then yeah definitely definitely yeah oh, sure All right so uh, with this discussion that we have it having on this podcast I thought to get you on to discuss as we did discuss in our Twitter conversation before recording this uh, that you said you went, went to discuss uh, self-diagnosis 
until we got diagnosed with ADHD and autism. So tell tell me yeah. a bit about it, you know, like yourself, maybe like how you treat something from like childhood to like teenage years to adult, adult years. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I think like kind of looking back, I guess, as a child, I think, especially when I was really young, I do feel like my autism was obvious. Um, it's again, because I think a few weeks ago, I found like old home videos and I was watching myself and there were some really obvious signs. Like, again, I just wasn't kind of engaging with other kids. I was always trying to run away from people like the whole time. Like there's one video where I'm literally going back, <laughs> I'm trying to run away from people 10 times. They're trying to bring me back. I was like two. <laughs> and it's, it's actually a really funny watch, but um so I think things like that were really, really clear. Um, and then there was a little bit of stimming as well and stuff in some of the clips. I, although it wasn't that obvious, like, I guess looking back now, I, I could tell. Um, but then I think from quite an early age, I did start to mask. So I think it was probably around the time I started school, I want to say. Because um, I remember specifically thinking, like, I remember kids like were talking about their favourite colour. And, they said, and I remember some kids saying, oh, this colour's bad, this colour's bad. And I was like, but that's my favourite colour. So I was like, right, that can't be my favourite colour now. And it kind of started there. Yeah. So I think by the time I got to school age, I think I was definitely masking my um, neurodiversity. And yeah, I think, again, the mask just built and built. Um, I think by the time I got to a teenager, I was very withdrawn. I tried to interact with people as little as I could. Um, again, I was always known as a quiet girl at school and like, oh, she's that girl who just well behaves. But I think that was my way of... Uh, right. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, you've a bit of flair. Well, at least in um, my experience, but yeah, that... Oh. Hang on, can you repeat? Uh, in a moment, can you repeat some of what okay. you just said? Because Lane's kind of... Are you feeling it a bit? Oh, okay. Are we back? Yeah, back. Yeah, so I was talking about yeah school and masking. Um, but you know, I think especially in the teen years, yeah. Again, I just felt like I just didn't want to stand out because uh, I felt you know people are gonna judge me. They're not gonna accept me. So I just felt the need to kind of just be something I wasn't um I felt I probably came out a bit more my adult years but like early adulthood but then again I found that exhausting you know trying to like do all the neurotypical stuff and you know because I thought oh I should be able to do this you know I'm just like everyone else and but then the thing is I would get exhausted and feel really tired I guess from like socializing as a neurotypical would and I just thought it's really weird it just popped into my head one day I was like I swear only autistic people can struggle this much with socialising. And then that's when I started to question it. And then once I did my research, and then more in particular when I found out about how girls and women can present with the masking, I felt like it described me perfectly. Yeah, totally get. I kind of totally get and understand what you're saying, Blair, because it definitely felt like from myself, you know, a masked from a new early age and also like felt like not so well to be able to like find or express 
myself, you know, because you kind of like feel like you need to blend in with everyone else and kind of like, it's kind of like I felt difficult to find who I am for, you know, like a young age because kind of like of the feeling of trying to fit in with everyone else and, you know, like, you know, kind of feel like, you know, to feel a bit more safe or like to like, be, you know, like, you know, like you worry about like that uh, social anxiety around like, you know, how people would perceive you as different if you understand what I mean. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think I had this fear of people are going to think I'm weird. It was almost like a, like a phobia. And I was like, I just had to be as normal as possible. And I thought that's what was going to get me through life. But I think in school, it's so easy to do that. But I think long term, it kind of destroys you because you don't really have much of self-identity or you don't really know who you are because you're too busy being somebody else the whole time. That's certainly like how it felt for me, definitely. Yes, totally. I definitely get that because I definitely found, you know, like for many years, even though I, like I was personally myself diagnosed, uh, think about 10 or 11, roughly around those years. And even after being diagnosed until pretty recently, like I have like, you know, masked and not felt comfortable in entirely saying, you know, who I am, if you get what I mean, and finding my autistic or self, you know, newer diverts and self. So I think that's definitely played a huge part in things. And yeah, it's like only recently now that I starting to feel like I want to, you know, like at least try to unmask because as you say, it is an exhausting thing as that's why I found like when trying to navigate, uh, you know, like a space like university then. Oh, sorry, can you repeat that? A train just went past, so. All right. <laughs> uh, well, I was just saying that, uh, you know, uh, I found that, you know, like I was diagnosed roughly like 10 or 11 years old. And then yeah. I said, and you know, like kind of like felt the need until p- pretty recently and somewhat still now that to like mask and, you know, try to fit in with a neurotypical world. And it only feels like recently now where you've, found how exhausting it is to like trying to blend in and navigate in a you know like in a neurotypical way of socializing and to be with you that it's definitely exhausting and quite fatiguing to try to do that constantly no it is it completely is and I think that was the thing like I remember doing it all like around my family and my friends like there was no like probably the only person I didn't master was like my pets <laughs> or like <laughs> you know um yeah. so yeah it's exhausting you know I think growing up I felt like the only person I could be myself was my bedroom and that was it so yeah no it is completely exhausting yeah I understand that yeah because you it can yeah because it's like only like recently you start to think now you know like what is what is um you know, like, makes you, you all, like, what what type of things you want meant to, like, feel that is your neurodivergent self. So it is, takes a while to find that self-discovery, you know, of yourself. So what did you think was that um, moment or, like, that thing that made you think, right, 
it could be autistic or have ADHD. Yeah, so I think that moment was, um, well, for my autism, I'd been socialising for about 14 hours that day, so way too long. Um, But again, it was an event I felt like I had to be at. I felt an obligation to be there, so I couldn't, like, opt out. And by the end of it, I was just like, it's not, it can't be normal to struggle this much. I think this is how autistic people feel. And then, and then I started questioning it. I'm like, wait, am I autistic then? So I then started to Google. I think at first I didn't find much, but when I found out about masking and how women and girls can present on the spectrum, I just identified with it immediately. And self-diagnosed box. I was like, Can you, repeat you know, some like of the last how I think, and, you know, what I do in certain situations. I was like, oh yeah, sure. So no, I was saying about how when I found out the information about women and girls on the spectrum, yeah. about how I felt like it fitted me perfectly or it described me perfectly. I was like, oh my God, this is it. Like, I, I pretty much knew from then on, like, I'm definitely autistic. Yeah. And then with the ADHD, it was actually, so it's kind of a more recent thing. Um, but I think, because obviously a lot of autistic people can have ADHD too. And it's when I was kind of reading people about their experiences of having both. I'm like, hang on, that I kind of relate to that. And then the more I looked into it, I'm like, actually, yeah. I'm pretty sure I do have ADHD. So that, so yeah, so it was very much like I self-diagnosed as autistic first, then I got my autism diagnosis and then the ADHD kind of came after that. But yeah. Yeah, and what did you, how did you find it was when you self-diagnosed, you know, like how, what, what was like when you started to say like with your family or friends thinking, I think I am autistic and I was like opening up and telling them that you, you think you're autistic and have ADHD. What was that moment like? Um, I think it was quite interesting. I found it quite scary the first time I told somebody I was autistic. I think I was actually in the middle of kind of on. I was. I think I was kind of on the way to an autistic meltdown when I yeah. first told someone because I was like upset. They couldn't understand why, so it just kind of came out. It was a close family member, so it was okay, but. It's just like, it, it does feel really scary. Um, and at first it's kind of, people don't really know, didn't know what to make of it. And like, I think especially when I opened up to my close family, they were a bit confused. Um, so then I just showed them the stuff I've seen online about, you know, masking and everything. And then they agree that like, that was me. So I think, you know, I almost kind of had to sh- like show them the facts before um you know they kind of like properly took it on board my friends uh some of them were um not surprised so one of them it was two of my primary school friends so one of them was like yeah I'm not surprised but she's also got a brother on the spectrum so she kind of knows autism so that's why I think that's why she said that and then the other one was like oh yeah that explains when you did this that the other so that was interesting but everyone else was just like they really struggled to believe it. It was only people who knew me as a really young child who were like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, because I guess it's like when all like moments when everything kind of pieces together and kind of like clicks in and makes sense, 
and I totally understand how much there is to that when you decide to open it, it's like that butterflies feeling from inside if you get what I mean and like very much like a sensory overload so like it's kind of a lot miss from anxiety and you know sensory overload so it's kind of like a weird situation you know or feeling yeah yeah and oh what can you see me yeah in the falls not for a second yeah can you hear anyway anyway so uh what do you say that you benefited since having a diagnosis and what would you see as potentially above yourself being diagnosed or not recognized earlier um what in terms of me personally yeah yeah i think being a woman like because again like if you look at all the studies on autism and again history of it quite early on people said it was only boys and then that kind of stuck even though more evidence kind of came out but i think you know throughout time again it's i feel like it's only in the last few years that you know you realize that actually girls can be autistic too and it may look a bit different um so i think that was because i remember my mum saying when i was really young she thought i was and she took me for an assessment at age four and five and both times they said no but when we read the reports it's like but they're describing autism quite well but they still didn't diagnose me so um yeah so again kind of from my perspective i see it it's because i present i guess in the typical like female way even though i know not all females present like that or you know even men and people of other genders can um yeah totally get it was large masking and my gender was definitely why i didn't get diagnosed until i was 24. yeah totally get what you mean because like it's still quite and you know like really a thing where the gender barriers are still quite prevalent within diagnosis and it's still you know to a certain extent now still being trying to understand you know like you know like how how we know women have been under diagnosed for many years and you know like how autism presents in female or people who don't identify as male or that male female autism so if you were to explain to someone what is like being an autistic woman and what traits you have maybe different how they would feel autism usually would you define that yeah so i think it's kind of important to say that it's not how all females present yeah and again you know some males can present like this and people who are non-binary or other gender identities um but I think in terms of me, um, it's kind of, I feel like when I'm in a social situation, it can feel like performing. So it's like, right, I'm with this person. I need to act like this in this situation to be socially accepted, or I need to do this, which is so I kind of need to think through about all my social interactions. Um, Sometimes I also like plan what I'm going to say. So if I know I've got a conversation with someone, I'll be like, right, I need to talk about this. I need to talk about this. I need to word it like this. So it's acceptable. And it's almost like you're kind of scripting all your social interactions. Um, And then again, I think it goes beyond that because again, it's like copying other people's body language. And, you know, it's like, again, because obviously 
kind of I guess my natural like body how I communicate you know most people wouldn't understand um so it's kind of learning how you know what gestures are right to make in situations is what I do a lot and you know making sure that I smile because people get upset when I don't smile and, and you know it's like my natural face I know it looks quite serious but like that's just like my resting like face um so I think again it's just I think that's a lot of it but then also as well I definitely am quite I have a lot of sensory stuff as well so I know particularly with food that was definitely my biggest thing growing up um, there were very few foods I could eat or tolerate because I, I find the taste and textures like too overwhelming. It would it make me physically gag, and I'd have pain from that. Um, and then I'm trying to think what well, like oh yeah, I hated fireworks. Couldn't stand fireworks at all, so I was quite sensitive to noise too. Yeah, I guess it's quite uh, quite and you know very loud and squeaky the noise fireworks. And I guess you know yeah. like pro- probably as you were saying about uh, you know remember the last point before that oh yeah you were saying about how your script and uh you know like trying to work out what you want to say next i guess yeah I feel like i can, can relate to that pretty much yeah i think that that's yeah. probably why some people make think you know like not think straight away that it, it could be an autistic person because yeah. some people might just class that as being like a just a quite an anxious person or like maybe saying quiet just because like not be because you can sometimes not not able to actually think of like what step steps to say next yeah so because I know I always always called shy growing up I was just shy yeah. everyone just thought I was shy and that's it but I never felt like I'm not shy like I'm not afraid to speak to people it's just again I'd have to think about what I was going to say it's almost like I was trying to figure out how do I respond in this situation yeah and again obviously by the time I figured it out quite often the conversation had moved on or you know or something else was going on so then it wouldn't have been right so I think there's a lot of that as well um again like I was described as shy but I think in reality I was just working out what to do socially yeah, because yeah, I think it's because you're kind of like trying to process what you want to say and kind of mm-hmm. like work on it in your head because like and thing is probably difficult for the, when there's so much sensory stuff going on with you know like mm-hmm. you can't try to like you know focus on one thing to like try to work on to say and so probably because like the mind gets recluttered in those moments so probably like that's why you sometimes to see now is all quiet or say rather than realising oh this person could be autistic if that if you get what I mean by that yeah yeah I know definitely yeah definitely because I think as well like people think of autism and they just think of like such a narrow view of what it can look like like they either expect you to be like Rayman or Sheldon Cooper and I'm like neither of them so yeah I think people that's what people think like the autism spectrum is but it's just so much more like diverse and broader than that yeah and I think because the the narrow view of that you know like way most people think of like how we're representing that like kind of like old tired functioning like people are 50 with like as you said the main man and Sheldon Cooper 
type of, you yeah. know, like make an artistic plane view. You know, I think that's why, like, so many people like yourself had to, like, kind of, like, got diagnosed late on in life or, you know, well, you know, like, later than, you know, like, many other people have at a young age. And probably like that, yeah. I, uh, many people are up to, like, self-identify and self-diagnose because, mm-hmm. you know, like, just that narrow view, I guess. Yeah. I think definitely. And like, you know, I remember I didn't tell anyone for months when I first self-diagnosed, like, because again, I was like, no one's going to believe me. Nobody's going to understand. And it it was really hard, even for me to open up to my closest family and friends. I found it so hard because I'm like, they're just not going to believe it. Um, But yeah, I think it is a case of kind of being prepared. Like if you are going to open up to other people that you self-diagnose with, like, explaining how autism impacts you or like what autism looks like in you um because then people might get it a bit more um but yeah I think again I do feel like whenever I disclose to someone I am quite often I kind of have to explain it because people just don't get it because I don't fit the stereotype and do you think because like because autism is quite complex thing and ADHD as well, so we kind of go mm-hmm. like, kind of like explain how we kind of like affected us as an individual because sometimes, you know, with like quite generalised definitions because some it kind of makes it to like, well, probably focusing and try to explain. Oh, this is what it's like for me, I guess. If you get what I mean. Yeah. 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 No. Definitely. Yeah, and I guess, like, sometimes it's hard to pick up, like, I guess it was hard for you to open up because you, I guess, did you feel anxiety when you started to open up or, like, it's sort of, like, consuming it, like, if you say uh, you're self-diagnosed as being autistic or you make part of it without diagnosis, do you feel like anybody, like, if you started yeah, that, you being, like, uh, you know, were like invalidated. Hello. Oh, wait. I think mean, is it back? Yes. Yeah, it's back. Okay. So we were talking about um, being self-diagnosed and all oh, the difficulties of it. Yeah, it was going to say like, did you like? Worry when you all like felt or were a bit concerned when you like started opening up that when you were self diagnosed that uh, you worried that whether you would be you know invalidated by that whether people would you know not see that as being like really autistic or having ADHD. Yeah, because mm. yeah, I think as well people don't trust early diagnosis, like the classic response is go see a doctor. Yeah. Or like you can't diagnose yourself. You're not a doctor. Um, like some people were okay with it. Others, to be honest, they weren't understanding at all. They're like, "What if you aren't though?" And it's like, "I definitely am." Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it's hard. And again, I it's definitely since I've got a diagnosis, I found it easier just to say I'm autistic because I guess I can in theory prove it. But it just shouldn't be like that because again, yeah. you know. 
but I, I don't know what the situation is like in the rest of the world, but I know in the UK, like it's not easy to get a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. You either have to be on a waiting list for years or you pay a lot of money. So yeah, yeah know, it is frustrating. Yeah, no, in many countries, you know, like, you know, like with the places of diagnosis and well, just like difficult stuff, like the whole economy around, I guess. It's yeah. hard for people to actually, you know, like afford the cost of a diagnosis and yeah. really look at getting that support they would need afterwards. So I guess mm-hmm. there is probably like some almost like ableism around it, if you get what I mean by that. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think as well, that's why I was afraid to come out because I knew that's what people would say. Yeah. Um, And again, I'm like, you know, since I've been diagnosed, I'm completely open about it. Like, I'm talking about it all the time on social yeah. media. But um, before, yeah, no, it was only a very few people close to me knew. But then when I got diagnosed, I was like, you know what? I- I'm fed up with pretending like I'm just going to yeah. tell people. So, yeah. Yeah, I guess it's quite good that you, you know, like, I guess your diagnosis kind of like changed you what well, not change you, but you know, like, kind of change your perception of how, like, you can be about yourself, you know, allowed you to, like, almost find yourself and express yourself in a way that feels a bit more comfortable to you, would you say? Yeah, no, definitely. And I think as well, it's like learning that, like, you know, I don't have to mask all the time yeah. and trying not to be neurotypical, you know, giving that up is wonderful. Yeah. Um, obviously there are situations where I still have to, and, you know, I do have to give somebody eye contact because otherwise they're going to feel uncomfortable or, you know, I've got to communicate in a neurotypical way to get what I need. But I try and, you know, not be neurotypical as much as I can. And that's, I would say that's made a huge benefit. And we, like, if you were to give, like, tips or like recommendations to others what what would you be your best tips of how you unmasked or how you like found out or like how you realized you you were like ADHD and autistic and your steps to diagnosis or like what 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 tips would you give to others in finding yourself in that way yeah I think it's just take your time like it is quite a big thing to happen to you to find out later in life even just finding out even if that's not for a formal diagnosis it's big so I think just take your time to process it um try and find out as much as you can as soon as I knew I remember I was ordering loads of books on autism I was trying to understand it as much as I could um so I found that really helpful and then in terms of like unmasking I think I did it quite gradually and I did it Again, I wouldn't say I'm, I've completely unmasked, but I'm at the point where with friends and families, I, around friends and family, I'm not unmasking anymore. Like when we're at someone's house or whatever, and that's fine. Um, but yeah, I think again, I guess more in the real world, it's hard. Like, you know, it, you kind of need changes like on a society level, you know, to fully unmask, but yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, I think just knowing that I'm not masking for most of the day is good, definitely. Yeah, that's quite good, yeah. And you, what, what were the books that you kind of, like, like resources you looked at to, like, 
when he was like looking at that stuff, you know, like if is there any like one book that you would recommend to anyone reading up on this? Um, there were a few. I mean, in terms of girls on the spectrum, I found a book called Aspergirls quite helpful. Um I'm trying to think what else. Also on YouTube, I just typed in like autism, women and girls as well. And I think I did same with ADHD, but more generally. Um, I found that helpful. YouTube, there's so much stuff on there. Yeah. And then again, I think Twitter has actually been really useful because it was, again, it was other autistic people tweeting about the ADHD that made me think, oh, I might have ADHD and I wouldn't have known otherwise. So, you know, Twitter has been really helpful for that. Yeah. Although, you know, I think with Twitter, you've got to kind of know your boundaries, yeah. which isn't always easy. And I think, yeah, I think it's just as long as you're, you know, kind of careful on there. Uh, I think Twitter can be a good resource as well. Like, you know, because you're kind of hearing first-hand experience. Yeah, no, Twitter is quite, quite hard environment to navigate. But you, yeah, you can uh, like able to ask and put questions to others and like learn from other people's experiences. It's like I found yeah. uh, TikTok has been quite good way to actually find out about autistic women and girls because you can uh, yeah you know come like I personally come across people like Paige Little to know where viewers saw TikTok videos before. But yeah, there's yeah. definitely quite good couple of figures using that platform to like see what it's like for women and girls so I think there are definitely ways from social media about opening that up. Yeah no I think it's really good as well because again um, just so many people you know although I would say it's starting to gain some attention you know so many people are still unaware about girls on the spectrum and like or women and, you know, when I go into a situation, I'm often fine, like, you know, and I open up about being autistic. I'm usually maybe the first autistic woman they've realised they've met. I'm sure they've met other autistic women and not clicked, yeah. but, you know, through life. So then it's like, you know, I'm like always kind of having to explain it a little bit. Like I never go in full detail yeah. because otherwise I'll be monologuing for hours. Yeah, because but... you take a lot of energy out to yourself. I mean, explain Yeah, it no, definitely and it's like if i'm only seeing someone briefly it's like i don't have the time like you know this is such a huge topic but um yeah i think again with the whole i think as well but i think the next step in terms of it is kind of autism and gender um i think in terms of you know not male and female um because again obviously a lot of uh, autistic people i've come across are not binary so yeah. the traditional, like, I guess the view now of male autism, female autism doesn't work. Yeah. yeah a lot of people. See that not as true, and yeah, because, like, you know, because, like, traditionally it's been viewed as, like, you know, like, the pre- previously it's kind of like the male view of autism, but, yeah, can you, like, get me off that now, yeah. But, you know, like, it's, you know, we can't really put in a the box of, like, it's like a male or female because it's something that affects us all as individuals and, you know, like, yeah, noticing that many other people are identifying as non-binary and gender fluid in this yeah. community. So it's, I guess, kind of like understand as concept without trying to leave it with gender terms. Mm-hmm. We're going yeah. to be focusing on the next episode about uh, gender fluidity and that. 
yeah definitely and I think the thing is I know I do it all the time like just so automatically but then yeah. that's you know I will talk about oh women and girls inspection I know I kind yeah. of have throughout this but I think it's just because it's so drummed into you gender from such a young age yeah. and it's like it's, it's kind of quite new the concept that no it's not just two genders and that you know gender isn't linked to like but like you know your biology like it's yeah. a you know it's more of an identity um but yeah so I think you know I think I guess in terms of autism and gender that's the next thing I think in terms yeah. of like improving understanding yeah because I think and it like at the moment now as you said you know like it's like that's sort of like frustrating thing I found Mexico learn or like explain to others about autism now but you know kind of hopefully after we had an innovative X and so we change the yeah, more you know like more understanding about autistic women and girls but also I guess just say uh, non-binary and gender fluid people in this community so again more whole picture of autism and that mm-hmm. it's not just you know like two gendered views of it if you get what I mean yeah yeah no I completely uh, get what you mean absolutely anyway so uh, I would I know you were touching on earlier about uh, you know that you uh, started to unmask and so what does that mean for you you know is there any way that what type of environment you'll feel most comfortable in you know with your sensory needs you know like or is there any way of like stimming you like or like what what's your you know if you get me in the belly heart yeah no so I'm um, I definitely stim like I'm stimming right now with yeah. the attack of you speak so I find that really helps with my concentration when I'm speaking to someone I don't know why but um again I used to always do this but I always used to do this like in my pocket like I'd have my hand in my pocket when I was masking and I'd just be fidgeting with something in there or if it was in school I'd have my hand under the table and I'd be like stimming then but I think now it's like sometimes yeah I might do that like under a table or in my pocket but I'll just quite often now I just won't you know if I'm on the table you know I will stim or you know just kind of just do things that just feel normal to me um again it did feel weird at first so I think it's something you know if you're gonna do it it's like building up to I guess making your stims a bit more visible but yeah I again like you know, I'm happy that, you know, I don't feel the need to hide it all the time. So. Yeah, because I guess now you're at the point where you're like, you know, I guess realised that since you have ADHD and autism, you know, like, it's like something that kind of helps concentrate mm-hmm. and focus on stuff. So, yeah, I guess something is yeah. diagnosed or diagnosed, you know, is that thing that really can help. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think as well, because like people see that fidgeting and think, oh, they're fidgeting, they're not concentrating. But it's actually the complete opposite. It's like, if I'm not fidgeting, I can't concentrate. You know, that's just how my brain works. Anyway, so in terms that, I know you've been studying at university and in a master's degree. What type of ways did you uh, like disclose to them and what type of ways have you've been like benefited maybe from a diagnosis in terms of help they may be able to offer you? Yeah so I did tell my university uh, when I did my master's that uh, I'm autistic so 
again that meant I was able to get more support um, in terms of both like study skills and my general well-being um, again I wouldn't have been able to access that support if, if it wasn't for my diagnosis so that was definitely a benefit yeah. um, of getting a diagnosis was I could use it for that um, and again I was relatively open with my classmates or some of them but then sometimes because I was studying psychology so autism would come up but sometimes yeah. I wouldn't tell people I am autistic and then they would be talking about it and I'd find that so interesting like almost like letting them kind of I guess you know seeing what their perception of autism is when they think nobody autistics around yeah. um so I did like a few times I was like oh I could mention it but I'm like actually no because I felt like the whole conversation and the mood would change um but I think one time I did bring it up was someone was going on about how great the extreme male brain theory was I don't know if you are familiar with that but it um you heard of it yeah yeah, yeah, it's by um, yeah, yeah, it's by Simon Baron Cohen. I know he's quite famous in autism research, but um, yeah. So he, which his theory, which I completely disagree with, yeah. basically says that autism is an extreme version of a male brain. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, and she was just going on wonderful. I was like, no, it's not true. I was like, I'm female, I'm autistic, and then I just literally went on a five minute rant. And then I and then I was like, I think it was just such an automatic reaction. Yeah. And then yeah. kind of we got I got to the end of my rant and like everyone was there speechless. So I was like, oh my god, what have I done? But um, but I actually in hindsight it was a good thing to do because again, um it really just like smashed some stereotypes yeah, in people and what like afterwards it did feel good, but initially I was like, Oh my god, what have I just done? Yeah, the thing but, is, you know, it does give you a lot to kind of like talk, you know, whole because you know, like you know, it's pretty young, it's just thing to open up and but I think probably like when studying psychology I guess you know it's one of those things that you know like if you opened up and told people about you know what you feel as an autistic person on this TV and yeah. you know like uh, say you know controversial outdated evilist and uh, sexist kind of is yeah. so I think that can actually benefit you know other people in the psychology class I guess since you opened up like that yeah no because I think you know I'm really glad I did and again I was just like I probably you know told them something they wouldn't know otherwise because even yeah. again although there is some research about you know gender differences in autism like it's very much like in its infancy and you know you've still got the old hardcore theories which yeah. are widely accepted but as an autistic person I know it's basically a load of rubbish um <laughs> but mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Like, I think in terms of like how you know how we both understand autism, and you know how all the other yeah. new people listening, you know, they're going to understand it so much better than what research has so far because they're like you know living it every day. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think it's just really good to kind of bring it in perspective, like the theories about you know how they're just not accurate at all, and it yeah. only represents like a really narrow part of the spectrum. Yeah, because I think. That's the thing I find to think probably now. It's like the best research on autism is yet to come, really, because you know, like, I think there's so much that still, you know, like, to actually understand how to help people better, like, better support or whatever, or like, you know, like, get, get better stuff, like, you know, like, by, uh, you know, like, people 
you know, like suits and, you know, like, like women and girls are like, and like left and diagnosed and, you know, like, you know, how to like support, you know, like non-binary artistic people, you know, mm -hmm. like, I think, you know, like best research is yet to come on and stuff like that and how to like dispel some of the, you know, myths that's still out there, I guess. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it'll be exciting, I think, to see kind of what happens yeah. in that terms of research as it develops. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, it'll be exciting to see what ideas people come up with. But yeah, I, I do feel like though, kind of, you can do all, people can do, you know, all the research they want. And again, I do think it is important to research yeah. autism in, in the right way. But, you know, I feel like it's only people who, you know, have lived experience of autism who kind of truly know what it's like, I guess. Yeah. Because um, again, I just, although I understand some of the struggles an autistic person's going through, they'll never like fully know what it's actually like to be autistic 24-7 yeah. in our world. Yeah, because yeah, it's like the best information you can get on autism or ADHD, any neurodivergent condition is from neurodivergent autistic or ADHD people. You okay? Yeah. Oh, no. oh I, I think, yeah. yeah, no, I, I definitely, um, agree with that as well because again I think that's one of the reasons why I love Twitter so much is yeah. you know just being able to contact with other neurodivergent people basically whenever I want and again just finding so many people that you know relate to your experiences yeah. like that's not something I'm used to and it's just lovely because yeah. <laughs> you know before I was the only one who couldn't eat that food otherwise it would make her feel sick yeah. or I was the you know person on the edge of social groups but couldn't quite you know yeah. Um, integrate in as a child so you know I think discovering other neurodivergent people and you know talking sharing understanding about our experiences mm -hmm. is just so I mean that's been one of the best things about discovering my neurodivergence you yeah. know is that because like I personally found that you know like you know I like you know for most times sometimes you know like before like me being like the only like neurodivergent person in the room or like the yeah. you know, like the only new world into that oh well you know like it wasn't so out like either established conversation that because sometimes like you know sometimes the people who come across are like so different you know because of different new world and people are from each other but I found like definitely from Twitter you do find uh, like scrolling through and seeing people's tweets like I've seen some yards and then they go Oh, you know, like that's so relatable, and I so can connect to that. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Yeah. No, I think I think again, it's like if you're kind of, I think if you're autistic or ADHD and you're looking for a community, yeah. I think even if it's just online, I think that can be really helpful. Yeah, because yeah, it's quite comforting in a way just to be able to see, you know something that you totally relate to and it makes you feel like not alone or you're not the only one you know like what has that like cheat or like you know have, has that like challenge or whatever mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah no definitely I completely agree with you there
Yeah. Anyway, you know, so you've done a master's degree on psychology. So what, what do you look into do with that degree and what type of like interests you, you in that field? Yeah, so I think I definitely, I think it's mainly based on my own experiences and just seeing how, you know, rough neurodivergent people can have. I know that I want a career where I can basically help make the world maybe a little bit better for neurodivergent people. Um, again, I don't know what that's going to look like at this point, especially with COVID. So yeah. I'm being quite open-minded about, you know, my next steps. Um, but yeah, no, I'm kind of, I'm excited to see, you know, where, where it's going to take me. But yeah, I think definitely something helping, you know, supporting other neurodivergent people for sure. It will oh, definitely be something related to that. Yeah, that sounds quite good. Yeah, I guess, you know, like, you know, it's certain area of interest for you and uh, something that excites you. So, like, I guess that's special interest of, of yourself. So do you have any of interests on, you know, certain stuff you like then in that field? Yeah, so my other interests are, so I think I kind of rank, like, the intensity of my interests, but yeah. my main one has... Well, like that's been consistent is Disney. So like ever since I was a baby, more or less, yeah. you know, throughout everything Disney, just absolutely love it. Um, again, like I've got a goal of visiting every Disney theme park worldwide. I've done four out of six. I've got two more to go. Um, again, I always watch the Disney films when they come out and I'm always on Disney Plus. So basically anything Disney, I'm there. Um, I also, I love cats. And it, like basically, I know loads yeah. of people see like the crazy cat lady stereotype as like negative, but I'm like, that's yeah. honestly my long term goals, you know. Although I think I'd probably only want two or three because again, I would hate to think that I've got so many cats I couldn't give them each one enough attention. But yeah, so I think yeah. definitely, I, I think I just love the idea. I just love cats company. I feel like I get cats, they get me. Um, yeah, so I think ideal situation would be me having a little house with my few cats would be the dream like long term <laughs> yeah and then also I would say kind of my last like main interest is the sims so again I just love like being able to design houses on there I think that's where like my creativity comes out and yeah that that's very much like how I enjoy relaxing and just you know I guess it's kind of a little bit of a form of escapism sometimes you know just kind of immersing yeah, yourself in a completely different world yeah yeah, it's quite good escapism because, like, it's kind of like one thing even to be able to touch on with this podcast, you know, like, one thing yeah. I think is great, great about being neurodivergent is, you know, much intense, you know, interests and stuff like that. So I went to, like, be able to, to, you know, like, have conversations about different people's, you know, own interests. If, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. I think also the best feeling is when you find another autistic person who has the same interests as yeah. you. Like, there's no joy like it out there. Like, I mean, that's yeah. one thing I've discovered and I'm just like, oh my God, that's other people out there who like the same thing as me so intensely. I'm like, this yeah. is great. <laughs> mm -hmm. But yeah, I think that's one really cool thing is like when you find someone else who has the same interests and at the same level, it's just yeah. brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So is there any, any other things you want to say about, about yourself, you know, like tell, tell the podcast listeners about yourself or, you know, uh, any, 
thing you want to plug maybe some of your social media channels yeah so i'm on social media so i mainly use twitter yeah so it's at sarah e boone um i'm also on instagram on that but i don't use that as much um also online i don't know if you saw i yesterday i started my own teespring sort what, diversity what, like t-shirts and mugs oh, um just as a way to get a little bit of income while i figure out oh sorry did it break up oh I, oh. oh yeah caught what you said now yeah t-shirts and mugs up yeah so it's basically um so it's called neuropride and it's basically so there's like an autistic mug you know with the infinity symbol yeah. like t-shirt so yeah i just created that as just a way to have you know a few products i guess celebrating neurodiversity so oh, is that something I, i'd ask people to check that out too definitely yeah we'd have to say that on uh, the new news uh, social channel so say that with you know, our listeners okay. and followers what i might do is i might send you a link to the yeah. yeah, what I'll do is I'll send you the link to the Twitter account and the page, and then yes, then you're able to share that. Yeah, great, excellent. Yeah. Oh, I, sorry, I didn't know if the connection just went there a little bit. Oh, right. Yeah, I think. Yeah, oh, no, right. I think it's back, it's back now. Yeah, I know it's been a bit up and down throughout yeah. this conversation. Yeah, it'd be nice talking to you anyway. You know, I think we covered quite... Yeah, no, it's most... really good speaking to you, Aaron, as well. Yeah, yeah, I think we covered most things, anyway. So anything else you want to cover in, in the chat or...? Um, I think we've covered more or less everything yeah. that we wanted to talk about. But yeah, just thank you for having me on the podcast. I've really enjoyed um, speaking with you. Yeah, thanks you for coming on. This is the first interview we've done recorded for so many clouds I could get, get it work in the end, you know, it took me like a couple of moments struggle to try to get it work. Uh, so I'm happy to do this now and glad it all went good because, you know, it was a great answers thing at first, you know, to be doing a like, you know, a proper interview, you know, like, like for a video call, you know, because I've never done anything quite like this before. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I, I know we had a little bit of technical difference with getting set up, yeah. but I think it worked pretty well. Um, it's worked pretty good now. Yeah. Oh, no, that is good. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. All right. We're recording now. Recording this outro of this podcast a few weeks later. After I record, did the intro and the in- main interview of this episode due to the the whole emotional chat, well, the challenges of the whole coronavirus pandemic made me feel not as motivated or driven to uh, record this outro of the podcast and release it. I will. In the coming weeks, be working on trying to get back to making these podcasts more regular and also working on a blog series. So we'll be seeing that shortly. I hope you enjoyed my interview I recorded with Sarah Boone. I'll be also ch- chatting to Neuro Rebel 
in a future episode, Krista Holman's on them coming out, out as non-binary, well, gender fluid and being pansexual and how that relates to being autistic for them and also chatting about their advocacy work and also do as I said, due to the setbacks of, you know, some of the challenges due to the pandemic, you know, not feeling as motivated and driven and in the right space of recording this, had a, a collaboration interview with uh, somebody on ADHD, which with ADHD. You can follow her on Twitter and hopefully, and I'll be recording with her in the com- in next week, I'll start scheduled in for I'll sort out out for that soon. And for the outro, as I said, this podcast will feature a new segment in the new new format of this podcast. In the podcast, for the last few minutes of it, uh, fi- pardon me, the final segment will be. On, on the news within the neurodivergent community. So I thought I'll highlight some stuff that if you follow us on Twitter at NDNeuroNews, you might come across the stuff that I'll retweet and you'll probably be able to see on your feed. And I've noticed we up to about roughly 440 US followers on Twitter, so thanks you for following on there. And remember, you can uh, fo- follow us and retweet any of our uh, content on there, and also comment underneath with your thoughts, which we may use in future editions of the podcast. So, coming up now, I'll highlight a few of the stories that have caught my eye this week. One of the stories that I've caught my eye this week is I've seen a campaign on social media called Fee Ozim Brown. Ozim Brown is a black autistic individual in the UK facing deportation. So I've seen online the campaign on Twitter with the hashtag Brown, I've seen many people protesting and demonstrating outside Parliament with that campaign, endorsing that message and campaigning for his rights. With there has been much support with the neurodivergent uh, branch of the Labour Party, where many within that group have supported and backed this campaign. I also have caught my eye on the fact that YouTuber Indy Andy, who's autistic himself, has set up his own podcast with a trailer episode out now called The Unmasked Podcast. Come in soon. You can subscribe to that now on Spotify and you can find about it on his own YouTube channel. And what else has caught my eye is the fact that it is 
ADHD awareness month next month in October as well as Dyspraxia Awareness Week at the beginning of October as well as Dyslexia Awareness Week on the same week as Dyspraxia Awareness Week. So we're going to be covering that in the next few editions of the podcast and highlighting that as when I'll get down to recording the interview with with ADHD, I've got to do a bit more preparation for that interview. We'll be talking about that. And so we'll also be talking about uh, this Baxi Awareness Week and hoping to do a, co- a collaboration with this uh, Baxi Help for Years, Billy, who's, fe- who's previously endorsed this podcast and sent in questions on it so I look forward to collaborating with others on this on this feature we also got uh, hopefully a large one person interested in sharing their stories on dyspraxia in their own words so that's to come up on this podcast in the coming weeks Thanks you for listening to this episode of the podcast, which heard me chatting to Sarah Boone on the main interview on self-diagnosis and why diagnose. We also heard from Lorraine from Chewy Gem on on this Pride Showcase, a new feature on the podcast, and the first ever Neuro News desk feature which you'll be hearing next time also on the podcast where you'll be able to if you email nd.newonews at gmail.com you can send in your own stories for future episodes of the podcast that can be highlighted in that segment I'm also looking forward to having Fen from Stemology discussing their new startup business, which you can now find on Instagram and Twitter and on the internet to discuss in Stemfight Showcase their new business. So, thank you, subscribe, and become a new squadcaster. Say this with your friends on Twitter and on Facebook, whatever platform social media platforms, subscribe and listen and give us a review on iTunes.